differently. And we see the world very differently mm-hmm. in a lot, a lot, a lot of ways. But they treat people with love, dignity, and respect. Period. We have different views on gun law. Like, there's all the things. All the stuff. But I'm telling all you, the these stuff. are the most precious men. And they are examples of how to treat people for me. And I try to come back to that. You know, when I'm doing this us against them thing, I don't I don't want to do that. I don't, my tendency is to draw this line in the sand. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that. It's us against them. Welcome to Let's Give a Damn, the podcast where you'll be inspired by the stories you hear and you'll be equipped to give more dams than ever before. We bring you amazing stories of people from all walks of life who saw something wrong and gave a damn about it. My guest today is no exception. About two years ago, I was part of a co-working space in Nashville called Weld. Shout out to my Weld fam. Once a week, we would gather for a few minutes to meet one member and hear their story and hear about their work. One day, Ruthie Lindsay shared her story and it impacted me deeply. Her story is full of pain, suffering, loss, but also lots of hope, strength, courage, and a massive love for living life to the fullest. Well, I finally got to sit down and chat with Ruthie a few weeks ago and I'm so pumped to share it with you today. I asked Ruthie on the podcast because I have so much to learn from her and I'm sure many of y'all do as well. On social media and in society, there's a lot of bad news. Lots of screaming, yelling, lots of shitty things happening to marginalized people and keyboard warriors fighting back and forth on social media. I've been guilty of this at times, I confess. While it is super important to courageously stand up for what is right, we call this giving a damn, it is so obviously unhealthy for us to keep all the shit in the world in front of us all the time and for us to tackle or try to tackle everything at once. I'm also guilty of doing both of these things for so, so long. Ruthie helps us with these things. I had a blast tackling a few important questions with Ruthie, and I hope you'll enjoy listening to us chat for a few minutes. Fun little side note, when I do these interviews in person, I try to get my guest's favorite beverage. I know Ruthie loves Topo Chico. Have you had this stuff? It's so good. But I know she loves it, so I had a chilled bottle waiting for her when she walked into the studio, (coughs) my brother's living room, and guess what she had in her hand when she walked in? A Topo Chico. I thought it was funny, and I won't keep you waiting any longer. Here's my conversation with the amazing Ruthie Lindsay. Let's go. Ruthie Lindsay, thank you so much for being with me today on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad it worked out. Yes, same here, same here. Um, there's a lot of places I want to go today. We've had, we're at episode 70 now with our podcast. Whoa, um, that's Super so excited, but most of them have been me finding someone that um, gave a damn about something specifically. In fact, today's episode, uh, Tori Samples, she's a co-founder of a fintech startup. They're going to provide... Mm digital currency for refugees, right? So they don't have to have physical money on their person, right? So I find these people, we tell their story. You have that as well. But what I'm more interested in is you educating us, you kind of sharing some of your wisdom. And so it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit different. Every five or six episodes, I kind of take a little bit of shift and make it more educational in nature. And this is one of them, because I think I have a lot to learn from you. We have a lot to learn from you. Um, And we don't know each other, but we'll get to know each other. And I'm excited about that. So your story has been shared widely. Um, a lot of things that have happened in your past, some pretty traumatic, crazy things. So we won't get too deep into that today. But I would like for you, for those that have never heard of you or your story, can you give us like an abbreviated version of what I'm looking for is like the people, places, and things yeah. that shaped who you are today. And then we'll get into a bunch of sure. other questions. Yeah. Well, um, basically the short version of what... I talk about for a living now. I get to share my story, which is such a privilege. Um, basically, when I was a senior in high school, I was hit by an ambulance and I was hit on my car door and I broke a bunch of ribs. They punctured my lungs, my lungs collapsed, my spleen ruptured, and then I broke C1 and C2, which are the top two vertebrae in my neck. And back then, um, an ambulance driver hit me and saved me. And it was my fault. Okay. So 
which is, you know, a big piece of it. Like if I had hurt someone else, good God, I can't even imagine how yeah. my life would be today. But um, I was in the hospital for about a month. And back then they used wire and spinal cord fusions. That was just the standard practice. And so, I mean, there's a lot that happened, but essentially I left after a month walking with a big ass neck brace and they had taken bone out of my hip and then fused it with this wire. And I wore a neck brace for probably six months. And then I went back to life like pretty normally. Mm. I mean, I was super lucky. I was very young. I was very healthy. I kind of bounced back and looking at me, you wouldn't even know anything had happened. All my scars are hidden by clothing or my hair. And so I just kind of went on. Like mm -hmm. I didn't have any residual effects at the time. Like I sometimes would get sore if I danced too much, but for the most part, it was like, life is great. And mm -hmm. I don't know why y'all are stressing about this. And you know, like my mom would get really emotional about the wreck, but I don't remember any of it. So it was mm -hmm. way more traumatic at the time for my family and my friends. I was, you know, on every drug under the sun and not even awake for most of it. So I didn't have any traumas around it at the time. I didn't remember anything. And then I went back to life, you know? So, um, I mean, I went to college, had a great experience. I ended up moving here, um, to Nashville for a job and met my first boyfriend and we were like super excited. We started our lives together and got married not long after we met. And um, everything just looked like it was going to turn out great. Like it kind of sort of always perfect. had. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea of anything opposite of that. Like my life had been pretty, I mean, we, it's not like we had a whole lot of physical things growing up. We didn't have a lot of money, but I had such a great life and I had a ton of friends and I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I get along with most people. Like I just thought, and I, I kind of avoid pain. So it's like, I didn't deal with a whole lot of hard things. I was like, everything's great. And about a year into our marriage, one day, um, I had this crazy shooting pain. I thought that maybe I'd been electrocuted or mm. hit. I didn't know what had happened. And it knocked me down. It felt like electricity had shot up my head. And then I was left with this crazy, I felt like there was black ink in my head, like of a migraine, like this just blackout, intense pain. Um, and that pain started happening very consistently and it was debilitating. I didn't know what to do with it mm. and I didn't know how to handle pain. I mean, I don't think anyone really, we're not meant to live with that kind of pain all the time. And so I just was like anxious to make it go away and to be better. I started going to see a ton of doctors and no one could really figure out what was going on. Every time I'd have an MRI or a CAT scan, there'd be a little black spot on all the films. And they say that that was the magnet and the machine interacting with the wires from my fusion, but everything around it looked fine. Um, eventually started me on pretty heavy narcotics because nothing was touching it. And I became less and less functional. And I think I kind of handled it like you would if you had um, acute pain, which when you have acute pain, you're like, you need to rest it. And then as sure. you feel better, yeah. you start working it. And I'm like, every morning I woke up and felt shitty. So I just yeah. stayed in bed, yeah. you know, because I was like, I feel horrible. I can't do this. And that went on for like five years until... Oh, wow. Um, finally a doctor was like, I can't tell you what's happening until I see what's under that spot. And basically they realized that one of the wires for my fusion had broken and pierced mm. my brainstem. Mm. And, um, I didn't know even at the time, the extent of how bad that was. Um, I know that I'm the only one that's had that and I shouldn't have been walking. And if we didn't get it out, I wouldn't be walking eventually. But I've since, I actually got to do a podcast with Dr. Drew in April. And he was like, not just that, like you shouldn't have brain function. You shouldn't have been able to breathe. Like this is it's a miracle. Uh, it's literally, mm -hmm. I had no idea. Um, the extent of how mm, crazy sure. that was. Um, and so they're like, you have to get this removed. And two weeks later, um, my dad was coming to visit me and tell, to tell me that he'd sell our farm so I could have the surgery. And he had a freak accident and fell and ended up passing of brain damage. And wow. it's just, been, it was just a crazy experience. Um, a lot of traumas happened in a very short amount of time. And I had handled it really horribly, but also like, who know? I didn't know. I have a lot more grace for myself now than I did at that time because I just, you know. That's good. Yeah. Like, who knows how to handle shit like that? It was mm. crazy. And so, basically, um, they had to remove the wire. They took bone from my other hip and fused it with six or eight titanium screws. And, I mean, I'm walking. Um, I still live with really intense chronic pain. Um, I went back to living in my bed and... 
because uh, I was actually in a new type of pain. I ended up getting really severe nerve damage from that surgery and that shooting pain stopped. But then my right side just feels like it's on fire all the time. Mm. And I have just intense neck and back pain. So um, learning in the last few years, I ended up, I guess five and a half years ago, weaning myself off of everything because I just had a complete nervous breakdown. My life fell apart. My marriage ended. Um, I'd been living in my bed for seven years at that point and um, had a very poor idea of what kind of life I could ever live. I thought my life was over and um, I wanted it to be, you know, and I think having like a complete full nervous breakdown as horrific and awful as it was became probably the best thing in my life. Cause like hitting that big of a wall, it was like, I will either die. And like, mm. I felt like I was already just the walking dead, you know, I was on every pain medication under the sun. Um, or I have to change like literally everything. And so weaning off that medication, I guess it took me about four months to do it. Wow. And yeah, I mean, I really like, I had to change everything cause like it was that bad. And so I think sometimes those moments like where you just completely, it just breaks you open. It's like, if I'd stayed down that path, like I don't think I'd be here. Mm. Like, I really don't. I didn't. Mm. That sounded like the greatest relief to me at the time. You know, I was literally living in my own version of hell. And um, yeah, it's been a really wild journey, like relearning, rewiring a lot of things in my mind, like on what I thought it was to be. I mean, I, I had a lot of entitlement around pain. I didn't think that I deserved to live like that. Like, this can't be my life. And so I did anything to try to escape it, you know, which for me, that meant taking every drug under the sun that they recommended, sure. watching an insane amount of television. I'd try to numb myself with food. And I mean, any we're also, as sevens, we try to avoid pain. So it's mm. like almost comedic that as a seven, I live with intensive chronic pain. But it's probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me because it... I had to finally face it and go headfirst into it and do a lot of a lot, a lot, a lot. And I'm still on the journey and I'll never be over it or like arrive at some place. But like learning how to do um, really hard emotional work and mm. becoming um, okay with sitting in my pain and leaning into my pain and learning how to let it be. I don't know. It's the hardest part of me, but it's also the best part of me. Mm. And I, I mean, that sounds like some sort of Pollyannish, like bullshit answer, but I know it's true. Like no, it's yeah. the best part of yeah. me. It's the thing that woke me up. It's the thing that has given me empathy. It's the thing that gave me eyes to actually like see people. And, yep. um, it gave me tenderness. It, it woke me up, Yeah, you know, and yep. I was not awake before. Yeah. I think it's the opposite of bullshit to believe yeah. that suffering yeah. makes us stronger. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, if you want to go the scientific route yeah. or the biological route, yeah. like it just does. Totally. There's a couple things I want to hit on there. Uh, first of all, that's fucking insane. Like it just, I have like knots in my stomach, like just listening to that, especially that period, the, your dad selling the farm and then honest and all that. That's just, yeah. that's insane. So there's two moments that I want to talk about real quickly before yeah. we get into all the other stuff. Yeah. Because I know that there are people listening to two pivotal moments in that story you just told me. Yeah. There are people listening to this podcast that have, and I know this because uh, they've written to me, talked to me about it through listening. Uh, we've had Jamie, Jamie Turkowski and other people that have talked about emotional stuff and suicide and self-harm. And so there are people that have contemplated yeah. killing themselves, including two of my siblings mm. uh, that I found out in the last like year or two. Was there a pivotal moment? Because you just said it almost sounded better yeah. to just, let's just end this. Yeah. And that's exactly what I've heard over and over again. Was there a pivotal moment where that shifted from it sounded better to no, I have to beat this? Um, or was it more of a progress, progressive thing? There was thing? a progressive thing. I think I felt like it would be a relief to not be here, but I never took any sort of action. You never like I ideated. I, I never any, yeah. ideated. Um, I was on such, like if I gave you a list right now of the medication that they had me on, my brother, who's a large man was like, if I took a 10th of this right now, I would overdose. Like, but I had built up over years and years and years and you just need more and more and more. I was on like the highest level of a fentanyl patch that they give dying cancer patients and morphine and hydrocodone. And I mean, it was just- You were numb. Numb. Yeah. I was a shadow of me. 
I was not, my brain was not functioning at its, <laughs> any level of its capacity. And I think, um, when I hit that wall, honestly, what made me change at first was just fear because my family was going to send me away to get help. And that is where my first decision of change was because of fear. Like it was not this brave, like I'm going to be better and make it. I was like, you're not shipping me away. Like I'd love to say it was because I was just so, (laughs) you know, sure, it wasn't. I was scared. So literally the next day I started weaning myself off of medication because I was like, you are not shipping me out of here. Nope, not happening. And so then that's where when my mind started coming back to me and it honestly didn't take that long, which was kind of shocking to me. I would say within that first month, the old me was thinking so like I was coming back to myself and I was able to think clearly and I was rewiring the way I had seen everything. Like I was like making proactive choices to like, I remember I made these lists. Like the first list was like, it was so basic. It was like 8am you get out of bed and you put your feet on the floor and you make the bed and you're not allowed to get into it until it's dark outside. Mm. That felt so profound. Sure. Like that was like, this is me the hardest thing in my whole entire life. How am I going to do this? Cause I feel you so, lived there for years. I had lived there. That was my safe place. It was my most depressing place, but it was also my safe place. Then I was like, I mean, I had to write like brush your teeth (laughs) I was not taking care of myself, like eat and I would scratch it off. And so at first it was a whole lot of that kind of thing. Like I had to write out those sort of things. And then I would say a few weeks into that, I wrote down all the things I had loved before I had pain. And I really feel like that's where the shift started happening. Like I would make myself to do, do one thing a day that I had loved to do before I hurt to try to remember who I was. Cause like, I hadn't done anything that I thought would cause my pain to be worse, which everything makes my pain worse. So I was like, I, you love flowers. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't care about flowers anymore. Like I'd make myself go pick flowers and smell them. And I would say out loud the things I was smelling and seeing you love sunsets. I'm like, Mm-mm, no, I don't. But I would make myself go and watch the sunset and speak out the things I was seeing. And I remember literally laughing, like, but it was like a maniacal laugh. <laughs> I remember writing, you love people. I'm like, no, I don't. Mm. I don't give a shit about people. I don't care about anything. And so I would like go sit in the hospital with my friend Bonnie Kate, who had just been shot in the Batman movie. And I'm like trying to not just think about myself and my pain and my suffering all day, every day. And slowly as my mind started coming back to me, I remember like the first time I smelled this flower that we had at my farm that my dad and I loved um, called Magnolia Fiscata. And it's the bet we'd stick them up our nose because we loved it so much. I remember the first time I smelled it in that season and just losing it. And it was the first time I remember feeling an emotion um, other than just deep depression. Like it was this beautiful memory of like, this is something I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and that felt profound to me. And I, I think just making, I think so often we think I will do these things once I feel better. But I knew that I had to do those things and that they would help me to start feeling better. It's like the action had to come first and I had to trust that the emotion would eventually show up. And a lot of times, like, that's what it is. Like, I don't, every morning I want to stay in my bed every single morning. But like, as cheesy as it is, it's like when I show up and I like leave my front porch and I go enter into the world, like these little miracles happen throughout the day. And when I am being intentional about who I'm talking to and I'm looking at them as though they are like a soul that are loved and cared, like there's a shift that happens in my brain. I go outside of myself where I'm going, I'm hurting, I'm hurting, I'm hurting. And I can like enter in with someone else and have these beautiful, Mm. amazing experiences over and over and over again. And it's, but I I mean, I have to re-remind myself. Like I am an animal and I go back to my old ways, you know, and I speak because I need to be reminded of these truths, not because I live in this like higher... No, no it's I a am, daily fight. it is a daily, it is so fucking hard. Yeah. And I never, ever, ever want to pretend it's not. Yeah. And I almost like, it's funny. Cause when you're like, you have a lot to teach us. I'm like, Oh my God, that feels almost startling to me. Cause I'm like, I just feel like a eternal student. Like I have so much to learn and I never want to come across as I have it all figured out. Or I know all these things. I'm like, good God, I'm just learning, you know, and I'm just doing the best I can. And some days that doesn't look like a whole lot like thriving. It looks like a whole lot like surviving. I'm just, 
you know, getting up and I'm making myself go through the motions because it's so freaking hard, but it's also in the same breath, like my life feels so full and so connected and so beautiful and the humans in my life and the work I get to do, all those things make this pain feel like there's a purpose behind it. Mm. And I know that I know that if I stay in my little tiny lane and I just don't leave my home and I just feel my pain, like it makes it so much worse. It's the only thing I think about. I think you're on the right track. No, I know you're on the right track. I didn't invite you here you know, to be this perfect expert, right? Uh, Alvin Toffler said, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Oh, amen. I mean, right? Like That's it's, it. It's, yes. Oh, we know something. Oh, wait, maybe I don't know it. Yeah. Oh, I need to relearn it a whole yes. different way. And so that's why, you know, yes. I, I appreciate you saying that because someone might, and many people might go onto your social media or whatever and look and be like, oh, it's so perfect and jolly and fun. And she's here and there and everywhere. And forget the fact that you on a daily basis are, you have to fight for that. Yeah. Right. You have to fight. It's a choice. To, it's a choice. Yeah. It's a daily choice to wake up and do that. Yeah. So let's get into a few different things. Yeah. So the reason, one of the reasons I, when I was thinking about who can I have on that I know, in, at least in my sphere of influence that I could have on to talk about this with, you came to mind um, because I think you do this super well and something I don't do well at this stage. I've been involved in humanitarian work all over the world for 22 years now. Um, I feel way too deeply, uh, which I know you do too, but one thing I haven't done super well, and I'm, I'm learning even at 34, like I'm still getting a grasp on it, is just not being so pissed off all the time, right? It's not helpful. It's not helpful for me. It's not helpful for what I'm trying to build. This is not just a podcast. It's a full company that we're building. Like there's a lot of stuff that we're doing. We want to help people think more intentionally about their social impact, social responsibility, giving a damn. And I can't do that if I can't properly lead people um, toward being that change, right? Just always being so pissed off about everything, right? I mean, I don't know. Here's the truth. My wife can attest to this. Maybe my kids at four, five, and six can attest to this. Maybe they're noticing it four, as well. Four, five, and yeah. six. We're a little crazy, <laughs> but uh, no, they're they're amazing. But right. we, we wow, wow. Some wow. days I think, oh, we did this super well. They're so close. And other days I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck did we just do? They're just so yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to slow down. Mm. I don't know how to have fun. Because all I think about is who could I be helping with this time instead of like taking off or going on vacation? Like I haven't taken a vacation in three years, like literally, like a day off or a couple days off here and there, but like an actual vacation where it's like shut everything off and go rest and recharge. It's been a few years. That's not healthy, right? Like it doesn't take a rocket scientist uh, to say like, that's not okay, Nick. But I just feel, I mean, just in the last week, think about it in the last week, I'm going to point out four things, I think. One our president damn near committed treason, right? Then just today, uh, Jeff Sessions, he laughed giving a speech where these high schoolers at this leadership summit started chanting locker up. His response was, ha, ha, ha. Uh, 2,600 kids still separated from their families, right? Uh, with this whole, you know, no tolerance thing. Um, I just saw a video of this kid who he, he violated parole and the NYPD beat him to shit. Just like beat him so unconscious he couldn't even walk to the cop car, right? So these are four. These are four yeah. like quick things out of the yeah. million that we could point out of things that are not okay. There's so much injustice happening. How do we do it? Mm. How do we do it? Because I want to be in this for the long haul and I'm not doing a good job at it. And there's a lot of people listening that are feeling the same things and they want to get shit done and they want to be, they want to be the change they wish to see in the world. Take it from the quote. But if we don't like, yeah, there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And I think I'm not always, but by and large, doing it the wrong way. I'm just going to yeah. be honest. Yeah. So go. What, come, what comes well, to mind? So I think there's, oh gosh, there's several things at play. Like some of it's personality types. Like, so, okay. Again, I keep referencing this. When I talk about my numbers. Yeah, you're I, seven. Yeah. What are you on the Well, Instagram? I used to be an eight, which is like asshole CEO. And I'm a three now, which still has a lot of that drive, mm -hmm. but it's more people-centric. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I want to, you know. You make shit happen. Yes. Um, eights aren't always asshole. Like my dad, a healthy it's eight, true. my dad was an eight. Yeah. And he, I have an eight wing. <laughs> so I think they're great. Yeah. But they, they can also they, be the I mean, can. they yep. can be the worst yep. when any number not healthy sure, can be right. the worst. Good, good observation. And actually, I love threes because y'all motivate me. See, that's one of those things I was going to say. Like, is we all need each other, mm -hmm. and 
Um, I dated a three for a little bit and I was more productive in that season than I've probably ever been Mm. in my lifetime because I was so motivated by all the things that he was able to get done in a day. Mm. And he was so intentional about his time. And and I'm like, "Uh, I am not, these are not my spiritual gifts. Like when I'm healthier, I go towards a five where I'm able to get more things done and I'm more intentional, but like seven's goal in life is to have fun. Yeah right? Mm -hmm. When we're not healthy, that's all we care about. Like, when's the next fun thing? How can I plan the next fun thing? And um, I have been there so many times. And that can be my default when I want to numb and not feel the excruciating things that you just talked about in this world that are happening right now that are so infuriating. They make you insane with just, you feel so helpless at Mm -hmm. times. You're like, what is happening? So I think when we're our healthiest, most wholehearted selves, when I am my healthiest, most, most wholehearted self, I can help elevate someone that's bogged down and be like, we need to step away from this mm. and not escape it like it's not a thing, but like it for us to be in a sustainable, helpful society, like for me to um, really want to make an impact, mine oftentimes because I'm in the helping profession. And so, and I share my story, I share about suffering and loss and pain and divorce and death and chronic pain. And, and so because of that, which is such a gift and an honor and a privilege, people feel connected to me. So then they share their stories with me. So I, I can't go days without, um, my, my messages are filled with people that are suffering. When I meet people in public, like they, they tell me why they've connected with my story. It's so it's this constant, it's emotional and Mm. and I'm not a counselor, right? Like I'm an empath and I feel things really, really deeply, but I've had to learn that that's the one example that I can say right now that like I have to learn on a day in day out basis to like, I want to enter in and like, it's important to also to feel the injustice of what is happening in this world. And, and also I have to like, I have to step back at times for my body won't let me stay in that intense, vulnerable, broken place. Like I can't do it. And if I try to stay there, literally I just crumble Sure. and I get so bogged down and so overwhelmed that I'm like, when I feel that honestly going and like, if it's a phone call being with my best friend, Jed, we will laugh and like I can be in so much pain and hurting so bad and feeling so heartbroken by what's happening around me and in this world. And I'll go be with him and we will just laugh over simple things and over irreverent things and just have so much fun. It's so life-giving. And I think having to somehow find some sort of balance, it's like, it's so crucial. Like mm-hmm. when I come home from being off the road, I'm like, I can't meet with people right now, I have to recharge. And so I don't know what that would look like for you to recharge because like you're giving out so much and you want to have a change in this world. You want to make a difference and you want to like speak to all of these things and help others figure out how they can make a change. And like those things are so important and so valid and so huge. But like if you aren't taking care of yourself and you aren't like none of this is that burnout is the realest real of all things like i was reading i don't probably the only like christian author that i read is richard Rohr, and he did a whole week he's awesome he's amazing oh my god i love him he gets it on such a level and he did this um week on like how should we respond about like with politics in general like everyone can feel so extreme and it's like you know, the left thinks we know all the things and we are, you know, critical thinkers and critical minds mm. and we see the bigger picture and become so um, prideful. I'm speaking about me. Yeah, this yeah, is sure. like, yep. we know what's, you know, mm-hmm. you idiots. What mm-hmm. is wrong with you? Like, have a profound thought. Like, we just, we make these very judgmental blanket statements. And a lot of it is, very prideful. And he talks about, and then oftentimes the right, you know, everything is about protecting their privilege and their rights. And that can become such a stronghold. And then you're just, there's this line in the sand and it's us against them. And, and he's like, first off, if you aren't doing hard work on yourself and like 
becoming really like wanting to be more of your, I can't remember. He says false self and not higher. I can't remember what he calls when you're like your more wholehearted self. Yeah. Like if we're not doing work because my false self, my prideful punk ass who thinks I know (laughs) all the things is the one that's like these idiots, that dumb ass, you know, I literally like there was a minute when Trump was, (laughs) and I have to fight against this. Like my, I was so triggered by him that I'm like, unless I already know these white conservative Christian males, I don't want to have any, like, I'm going to assume the worst until they prove me otherwise. <laughs> I was just so like, no, if you support this man, I can't, I'm so triggered right now. And I'm so, then that just, that's a line in the sand. I can't, you know, and just this very judgmental, hard, harsh, it was not coming out of my mm. whole hearted self at all and it was very critical and very and now listen there are reasons like i think righteous anger is the realist Mm -hmm. and i think doing nothing says so much Mm -hmm. also that is a political statement when we do very big statement it is a fucking huge statement it is like probably to me one of the biggest Mm -hmm. because we're just we don't want to disrupt our comfort or it's a privilege statement. Like when you don't have to do anything, yep. it's because it's not affecting you. Yeah. And I have lived there. I used to say, I hate politics. Don't talk to me about politics. It's my worst nightmare. I didn't understand anything about it and I didn't care because also nothing about it had to affect me as a white privileged woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying like, I haven't directly felt the effects of Trump because again, I'm a white privileged sure. woman, but these are like not left and right issues. This is just human stuff. This mm-hmm. is like human rights we're talking about here, not <laughs> anything else. Yep. And that's where I'm like, I, it's time to get educated. It's time to speak up. It is time to like, however I can use my voice to empower those whose voices have been taken from them. Yep. And so... You know, there's so much I don't understand. There's so much I don't know. And I never want to come off as like, I'm the authority. Here's what it is. But like, I want to speak what I want to try to speak truth out of a loving place. I want to be a light. I want to like, out of knowing how loved I am and knowing that everyone else is so loved. Yeah. How can I speak? Like my family and I think very differently. Mm. You know, like my brothers and I think very differently. And I grew up in a very conservative town and majority of it, massive amounts voted for Trump. Like my dances were segregated. Like I I was called the N-word lover because I brought my friends to the white dance and it was a stink. It was a literal, I mean. It's insane. it's, It's literally insane. Yeah. So that's the world I'm coming from. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they're also, it's so good for me to have people in my life that see the world differently because they're also the kindest, most loving, most generous humans yeah. I've ever known in my life. Absolutely. And so that for me is a is a grounding point yep. to be reminded that like this is not us against them. Nope. They aren't bad, you know, it's different worldviews. Yeah. It really is. And honestly, those two men treat people so much kinder and more loving. They are so loving on such a like core level, way more than I am oftentimes. Mm. Way more. Way more. So who the fuck am I to be like, everybody over here is a horrible human. Like that is just not the case. And I think we touched a little bit on like earlier why queer eye is so important. Mm. Like, I'm like, that is what our country needs right now to have these kind of conversations when it's people that are just so different from each other. And I don't think like, we're not going to fix anything. I'll see people that sometimes people I love a lot out of just what the hell is happening. And the anger makes some very harsh statements. And I'm like, that's not going to convince anyone on the other side. Nope. It's just, it's no, just never, not, nope. it pushes them further away. And when I see crazy, like, 
you know, I remember seeing a lady that I've known my whole life on Facebook when he was, when Trump was elected, she was like, Republicans think this. And she wrote out these things. Liberals think this. They, they're okay with murdering babies, burning mm. flags, <laughs> like made this long yep. list. And I oh, yeah. wrote her and I was like, miss blah, blah, blah. I'm, I would definitely consider myself a liberal and I do not stand behind any of the, like what, here's what far left people will say about Republicans. And I know that's not true about you. I know you. Yeah. Like we know each other. Mm-hmm. I am what you're speaking of here, but I know you don't think those things about me. Right. You know, when we can have these like conversations that feel so different and that's where I know people have lovingly spoken truth to me when my just cluelessness didn't know. Like I have friends, you know, gay friends, African-American friends. All, I mean, name it you know, minorities who have loved me well enough to say, I know you didn't mean this, Mm. but when you said this, and that feels so loving to me. Mm -hmm. I feel so cared for in those moments because all I have is my experience. And my experience has been this very white privileged experience. No one questions me. Like I don't walk in a space and people are wondering if like I'm safe or am I going to steal or, I mean, there's a million things that just by the way someone looks, the way someone talks, the way that people make all these assumptions and fear and insecure, you know, comes up. And that has not been my story. I have never had that. I have felt love and accepted everywhere I've ever gone, truly. And so to start Mm. to rewire my mind to try to in the teeniest way, because I will never fully understand, but to try to like see my friends' experiences, my friends who grew up in conservative Christian homes that knew they were gay at such a young age. And like, I don't have an understanding of what that experience was because that's never been my truth. And so to like have conversations, they are loving enough to like help me understand and to broaden, to help rewire things that I just didn't know. And I think that can only come through relationship and conversation. They help teach me. My friends teach me. Yeah. And I think making these bold, hard, harsh things, like nothing changes. Nothing will ever change like that. And when I do work on myself and I have to actually sit with myself in silence, which is as my seven nature will tell you, my goddamn nightmare, <laughs> literally yeah. I'm like abort, abort, yeah, abort, yeah. abort. How do I get out of here? Yeah. Ah! You know, like, but when I do that hard work, yep. the way that I re-enter in the world and how I look at people and how I talk to people, how I see people, how I treat people. Like it honestly makes me want to cry because it's so different than when I'm living out of my ego, closed-minded, this is the way For it sure. is, you fucking idiot. What are yeah. you talking about? Like, because I think that way. Yeah. That's my ego self. That yeah. is my natural inclination. Yeah. And to not shame myself when I see that, but to notice becoming aware and be like, oh, that is not who you want to be. That is not who you want to leave in this world. I'm quicker to see that and like, okay, come back to who you know. Like, here's the truth. Like, we are all divine creatures and I am no different, no better, no worse than any other person on this planet and no one I interact with is either. And so when I start seeing that truth for myself, then I'm able to see that truth for other people. And it it doesn't make you too humble or too prideful. It's just, we're all the same, you know? Like, it's not like, oh, I'm the worst, so I need to treat people. It's Mm. like, I am so loved and I'm also capable of being really gross. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can literally be disgusting. Mm -hmm. Like, the shit that I hear come out of my mouth sometimes, I'm like, wow, like. That wasn't okay. That's not okay. And I, you know, I've had to apologize to people and, it's so funny because I feel like I'm the hardest on really conservative Christianity and mm. I'm so mean about it in my head. Oftentimes I don't necessarily say it, but it's in me. And oh, it's yeah. the things Same. that I'm thinking and I'm like, wow, like I am being more awful <laughs> with the way, because I'm being just as judgmental and drawing this very hard line. The very same things we're criticizing them for we're doing, it's, maybe not out loud, in our heads, which is just as bad. It's just as just bad. As it's my heart. Yeah. And it's, I'm not going to expand and nothing will ever change. It mm-hmm. only 
adds fuel to just the darkness. And I want to bring light. I want to be an instrument of love and light and an instrument of change. And I really do believe that the only way that can happen is like me doing hard work on myself. And sometimes that means I need to like, like whatever fun looks like to someone else. Like I think laughing is medicinal for me. I could literally feel so horrible that I want to crawl in the fetal position and just I'm like, take me now. I'm good, you know? And like, I will get around my friends and I will, we will just howl laughing and dancing and being silly and all those things that I know like the next day I'm going to feel worse because I've <laughs> done a lot of these things. Like dancing makes my pain so much worse, but I'm like, oh, sure. it is life-giving to me. And I can't, we're not meant to stay in that sustained, like heartbroken, self-reflective, you know, all those places, like none of that is sustainable if we do any to an extreme. Like I've kind of had to limit myself. Like I listen to the daily every morning and there's like one other news outlet that I listen to. And that's a lot of days. That's all I can do Mm. because I, it fucks with my whole day. And then I'm so devastated, heartbroken, now, I don't want to go to the other extreme and go like, la, 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 cover my eyes, cover my yeah, that's ears. A balance. It has to be mm-hmm. a balance because I don't want to be in denial and live in my little privileged world because I'm not affected by it. And, and I've done that at times. Like I've done that and I've lived there at times. But I also know that I can't live in activist state and just- All the time. I, I cannot. Yeah. It, I will not- Our hearts, our brains, nothing can handle it. Nothing can yeah. handle it all the fun and stuff, that's not healthy to stay there. And I've lived there plenty of times. Like as try as it sounds like balance, like learning balance for me is my daily thing. Like I, I want to be informed. I want to be educated on things I don't understand. I want to read people that I don't necessarily agree with. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's important to stay informed. But mm-hmm. then it's also important to have those people, those solid quality humans in your life that like speak the same language and it's a mm-hmm. life-giving mutual exchange. Those people are lifelines to me. Like I need them um, to bounce off. Like my friends will tell me when I'm being an asshole. And I love that. Like we hold each other account. There's an accountability Mm -hmm. level. Like I love that they're not afraid to be like, "Mm, I don't think so. I don't, you know, or. I definitely need, I definitely need that. I need that. And I am, I have an eight wings so I can speak like this is the authority. Mm -hmm. Like here's what it is. Sure. And so I think it's so important to have people in your life that you've cultivated that like are in your day in, day out life that speak hard truth and having people in my life. Like one of the reasons I, I mean, I like struggle in Nashville, like, because most of my friends are white. I work in New York and LA a lot. Um, and it's v- way more, yeah. you know, and it's not like you're saying like, this is bad. So I need to leave. That's not why I want to leave, but it is, there's times where I'm like, I have a very specific, I'm hearing of one worldview here and it's with a lot of people that look a whole lot like me and that's not where you know change can happen i need to have conversations with people that have had very vastly different experiences than me like my friend Miriam, who i treasure so much um she's muslim and the conversation she's taught me so much She teaches me just by being in her presence. She teaches me Mm. and watching how other people react to her. It's the wildest, craziest thing But she's been a friend. And I have a lot of other friends that'll be like, you know, that's not, I know you don't mean, I know your heart. So I can, and she knows that I'm receptive. Like I want to learn. So she'll be like, I know you meant this, but here's how that could come across to someone like me. And like, Thank you. Like, that is so important. That is so important. And I was like, you know, I remember when Trump became president, I was so shocked because I also had only been around a whole lot of people that think a whole lot like me. And all of us were like, this idiot. Like, there's no (laughs) way 
everyone's laughing. Yep. We're all laughing. There's no chance, especially after the audio came yeah. out. Like, I thought that was it. We I'm all like, thought that we're was like, it. We're like, we won. Like, we won. Yeah. You know? And I was literally like, that, he just nailed his coffin. And nope. yeah, I just, that was a real awakening for me. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm not dialed in to America. Yeah. I'm dialed into my very yep. specific niche world. Yep. All of that was super great. Lots of nuggets in there. So thank you for going on and on. That was super, super. <laughs> I do and I don't, that. I don't mean that. No, no but no. it is the realest thing. <laughs> I do go on but and I'm on. I'm glad you did because you were. You could tell that you were like, they were just leading into each other, right? And that's wonderful. Super, super helpful. You mentioned Queer Eye and I, I think we're both huge fans. Um, huge. Huge fans. But what I love about it is I've seen, I mean, the, the interesting thing about that show is it's about the, it's about five gay guys, you know, helping other people be yeah. better, right? Yeah. And I recommend that show to the most conservative. Same. Literally. Same. If you are right, like super ultra right wing, you have to watch this show because they're on display for everyone to see. They have showed us how to have those conversations. That is a primer in having conversations with people you don't agree with. Not as that, but making them feel important and amazing, right? Not just like, yeah. oh, I'll begrudgingly sit across from you and have a beer. No, no, they went in there and changed their lives, Yeah, yeah. right? They went among them and spent time with them in their homes, and with their families. And you're completely right. And I've been trying to do this better and advocating for it more in my own life and in the lives of people around me. We have got, if me typing out my, in my mind, my amazing response to some like, Twitter troll or the latest, you know, Trump tweet, like none of that does, it doesn't do anything. And I don't know why I give into it so often. And I, I do delete a lot of them and I do tons of drafts and then delete. And that's, that's great that I don't put it out there. But the fact that I'm still even giving it, I'm giving it 20 seconds of my day to write a draft that I know I'm not even going to send, but it feels better to say whatever I'm going to say and draft it yeah. just to delete it later. We've got to, you're so right. I didn't know. I've spent 16 years living outside the U.S., 10 in Guatemala, six in 30 plus countries around the world. I don't feel like America is my home because yeah. I've spent like really the pivotal years, like the big years of my life away. Yeah. But I've lived back here for the last 10 plus years and I truly did not know. Hmm. And I can fall off one side of the horse and say, well, this is the worst place on earth. It's not great in any way, blah, blah, blah. And I can just go. Sure. Or I can say, we've got some work to do, people. Yeah. We've yeah. got some work to do. That's right. And I think the only way that'll actually happen is the relationship. Mm -hmm. I really, mm -hmm. truly, that's like, literally could cry even thinking about it. Like when I think about my brothers and I'm like, we are so opposite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they probably think I've lost my goddamn mind and gone off the deep end, but we love each other so much. And like, we still trust each other. Mm -hmm. And so they are my that's constant important. baseline of coming back to like, we can be so different, yeah. but like we ultimately want to be loving humans. Mm -hmm. We want to treat people like mm -hmm. they are honestly the kindest. Like I was home for Christmas and one brother, we we're driving through town and he pulled over two different times to men walking on the street. These African-American men gave them money, knew their names, asked about their children. Um, it's amazing. Literally, he's asked to do everyone's funeral in my hometown. Everyone, every race, because everyone feels he's the doctor in the hometown. Everyone feels so loved and so seen and so cared for by him. I have another brother who they're really different too, but they are just, he, like, I went home, they had redone their house for, and it was ready around Christmas time. And they were like, next level their house has been finished before anybody else's house ever gets done like mm. everyone has nightmare stories about dealing with construction sure. and the construction workers and literally it was almost christmas and all these guys were still at their house it was done in some sort of record time they knew every single person's name that was working at their house he had christmas gifts for every single person that had been working um it was a lot of hispanic men and they were they felt so loved by my brother and my sister-in-law and those, like all the kids, they'd call them like 
Mr. Ed. And they knew everyone's, everyone felt loved and seen and cared for. They were literally, it was like two days before Christmas. And I'm like, why are they working? They're like, they insisted. Literally, they insisted to have this finished because they wanted us to be able to have it ready. But I'm like, nobody does that. But yeah. it's because they felt so loved. And like, we voted very differently. And we see the world very differently mm-hmm. in a lot, a lot, a lot of ways. But they treat people with love, dignity, and respect. Period. We have different views on gun law. Like, there's all the things. All the stuff. But I'm telling you, these are the most precious men. And they are examples of how to treat people for me. And I try to come back to that. You know, when I'm doing this us against them thing, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't, my tendency is to draw this line in the sand and I don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that. It's us against them. Because that's where my brain, we have these animalistic, we want to make sense of everything. So that makes the most sense because we see this pain and the suffering. So I'm going to make this black and white thing. This is going to make it better. And this is, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, life is (laughs) not black and white. No, It's the grayest gray of all the things. Like I heard this one interview with Maria Shriver and Oprah and she was like, you know, I don't want to say I'm blue or I'm red. I'm just, I want to be purple. (laughs) And I'm like, there's something I really love, not to say like to not take a stand against things. I sure. think that's very important to stand, but she does stand up, right? you know? And I'm like, that's a beautiful, because it's not us against them. No. When you're purple, you're for everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to be purple. Let's start a new party. <laughs> Let's start a purple party where we're for- Oprah's our president. <laughs> oh, <No>. God, please. <laughs> she is my queen, my president, all the things. But yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm really, really trying- um, to like sit within myself and see my, because when I see myself clearly, I see the beautiful, incredible things, but I also see my shortcomings. And so when I do that, I can't be so prideful to go out into the world and be like, you idiot. Da, da, da. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. When I'm actually being my my higher self and not living out of that false ego, what I've built up of who I should be mm. and how I should be and how everyone else should be. I, I, tr- I enter the world differently. I really do. And I don't live there. I go back real quickly <laughs> to my animalistic, very prideful. I can be the most prideful little shit ever, like truly. And living in that spot, I cannot be an instrument of change there. I can't. And so the most loving thing I can like offer the world is being wholehearted. And that's hard. And putting all of that into everything you do. Exactly. Because then you enter the world differently. Yeah. You'll see the needs. You'll see the yes. things that need to be done. The things that don't need the to be done. Stay away from this. Yes. Go toward that. That's right. All of that. That's right. What does the future look like for you? Like in your dream, we'll begin landing this conversation plane, but what, yeah, what does the future look like? What do you, what if you could just, you know, wave your wand and you get to do all these things for the rest of time? What does that look like? I don't have a clue. You're just going to take it. And I feel so fine with that. Yeah. My life looks nothing like what I expected. Nothing. Not even, I mean, it went a hint of a thought of a clue to do what I'm doing now. And I love it. And it's beautiful. Um, You know, I don't know how my body will be in a year. I mean, it's been worse every year for 14 years. And so, but I mean, there's things that I like, I will have a book come out. Mm. I'm writing a book. (gasps) It's so hard. Um, So I'll have a book come out. And with that, like, it excites me to speak even more. I, I think speaking for me is probably... The thing that I love that feels the most life giving and feels the most purposeful for me because there's something about, especially for women, like looking women in the eye and believing that there's hope for them. Mm. And I think there's something really powerful is I'm not speaking from being on the other side of something like my pain's worse than it was from the story I'm telling you about, you know, and I'm in it with you. And so to be able to speak from being in it. Not me like life was really hard, but then you can get on this mountain. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like that feels unattainable a yeah. lot. So like I think there's something yeah, really, your story in life feels very approachable. It feels and everybody's it, in it. Yeah, we're in it. I am in it with you. And I I believe there is hope, like whatever fucked up 
broken, painful thing that anyone is living through, like that doesn't have to be the end of their story. And that can be the instrument of change in breaking them open in the most beautiful and profound, powerful ways. And it'll wake you up. Mm. And it's the harder choice, but it's the most incredible. Like I've never known such joy. I've never known such connection. I've never known such um, beauty as I have since I've had this pain, you know? And, and so I think there's something that feels so like such a gift and such a privilege to me to get to experience that and to connect with others. And it's the thing that makes my pain feel the most purposeful. Cause I'm honestly, like I said at the beginning, I'm only sharing things that I need to be reminded of. <laughs> like it's yeah. not my truth. It's the truth. There's nothing new under the sun. Like I just, this is what I believe with every ounce of me to be just truth. And that feels so incredible that I get to share it. Cause we hear things differently from like, you know, millennial girls might be able to hear something differently from me than they would someone else, you mm -hmm. know? And so I, it's the same story. It's just coming through a different vessel. So the idea that I get to be one of those vessels just feels like the greatest honor. So I hope I get to just continue to do that and more and more and connect with people and share that like they're not alone in their suffering. Like, you know, that's why the Me Too movement was so powerful mm, yeah. to know you're not the only one. Pain yeah. is universal and it can feel like the most isolating thing yep. on this planet. And so when you know you're not alone, that someone else too feels so devastated by how their life turned out and has felt like they didn't want to go on and felt like this pain was just the end of them. Like, I know those feelings. I know what it is to go through a divorce. I know what it is to lose a loved one, to lose a father. I know what it is to wake up every day and be like, can I actually do this? Like, I know it. And so there's something so sweet about getting to speak to that and help others feel less alone. So that, and then I have a podcast that's coming out hopefully in the next like two weeks. Super exciting. <gasps> We're so excited. So I don't know doing more of that. And then outside yeah. of that, I don't have a freaking clue. And I'm so good with that unknown. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Got a lot going on. Yeah. And who knows what next totally. tomorrow, next month. Definitely not next year. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows what Good God. Yeah. What I'm going to do in an hour, I don't know. Yeah. Drink more Tobo Chico. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Um, this last question, yeah. or second last question, yeah. I ask every guest. Someday you're going to die. Yeah. Hopefully it's many, many years from now, but we're all going to die. Yeah. It's not a scary thing to talk about. I think about death every day. Mm. For some odd reason, though, this is the weird part, is that I've been asked to give you a eulogy. So everybody's there. Mm -hmm. everybody's there that you love and care for. They love and care for you. They're all crammed in this big room to honor and mourn your life. Mm. What do you hope, what do you envision that I would say about your legacy and life mm. on that day? Oh man, that makes me want to cry. Gosh, what a beautiful question and beautiful thought. I hope they say she showed up and lived it as fully as she possibly could. And she made me want to love people better. Mm. Oh, if I, if someone felt that, like mm. felt loved by me and it made them want to go out and love people better, that they felt seen by me and know that they matter and that they're important. And because I don't know that you can honestly go out and live out of that unless you know it to be mm. true for yourself. Yep. So I would hope that they'd say like she showed up and she lived it and she sucked the fucking marrow out of life mm. and experienced it to her fullest potential. And she helped me like, she made me feel loved. That's what I want. When people leave me, I hope that they know that they matter and that they are loved. And that kind of, it's the baseline that sums it up of like why I think I'm here, mm. you know? So. It's great. I hope that I make others want to show up to life mm. and love it, you know? It's great. I'll link to all the stuff, your podcast and all that, so I won't ask you about it. It'll be easy to find you. But thank you so much for yeah. being here with us today. Thank you. Uh, time. Thanks for chatting. Thank you. I appreciate it. 
Dear friends, I hope you enjoyed listening to us chat as much as I enjoyed having the chat with Ruthie Lindsay. I hope you were encouraged and challenged also. Per usual, show notes for this episode and all the rest can be found at podcast.letsgiveadam.com. That's podcast.letsgiveadam.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on this conversation, so hit me up, hello at nicklapara.com. That is my email, and that's our open line of communication between you and me. I'm Nick Lapara, and we're Let's Give a Damn on all social medias. Social medias. We have an exciting episode next week with Becca Heller, amazing human and the founder of IRAP, International Refugee Assistance Project. She is amazing. They are amazing. I so cannot wait to share that conversation with you. Same day, same time next week. Much love to you and yours. Bye for now.